Hi, we're Josh and Arielle Wamsley, owners of Green Valley Tree LLC, based in North Wyndham. We're proud to sponsor Connecticut East this week and to serve the communities of Wyndham and New London counties with our tree removal and plant health care services. Visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com for a full list of our services or give us a call on 860-234-4041. We look forward to hearing from you. It's October and it's Manufacturing Month. We sit down with Spiral manufacturers of engineered fasteners based in Danielson to talk about what they do and how they've kept it going for 75 years. Plus we take a look at other stories making the headlines from around the region. This is Connecticut East This Week. Hello, I'm Brian Scott-Smith. October is Manufacturing Month across the nation as federal agencies, companies and other organizations recognize and promote the success of U.S. manufacturers in the global marketplace. And despite what you may think that other countries seem to make everything these days, you might be surprised to learn that manufacturing in the U.S. is thriving and there's a need for more people to be employed by the manufacturing sector. And here in Connecticut, according to a recent manufacturing report from the CBIA, Connecticut has over 40 3,300 manufacturing companies that employ more than 160,000 people and represent 10% of the state's workforce and pays $16.2 billion in annual wages and benefits. So, I sat down recently with Spiral, based in Danielson, to have a talk with the company's CEO Jeff Cole and Christy Jones, Director of Marketing, to find out what they do here and around the world. To you both, welcome to Connecticut East this week. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Good morning, Brian. So, Jeff, I'm going to turn to you first. You're not 75, but happy 75th anniversary because <laughs> Spiral, Spiral is 75 years I'm old. I'm certainly glad to get the affirmative affirmation that I don't look 75, right? So I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, 75th, our 75th anniversary this year. Let's talk about that in a moment, um, but to give listeners a bit of an idea, in case they have not heard of Spiral International, you are famous for inventing something called the coil spring pin back in 1948. Tell us a little bit about that. So, yeah, in 1948, my grandfather invented the coiled spring pin. At the time, it was called the spiral pin. So most of the industry for the first maybe 40, 45 years knew us as the inventor of the spiral pin. But we changed the name to the coiled spring pin so that we could take the name of the spiral pin and make it our our official corporate name. So he had an invention. He, he was an inventor from Germany. He was an immigrant from Germany. He had had a need to fasten two components together that would not come loose during vibration. And if you typically use a nut and bolt or any kind of other fastener, we all know that, you know, in, over time, when, when you have vibration and dynamics, the components come loose. And he was actually working on uh, a hollow jet turbine engine. And it would be really, really bad for the fins of the turbine to come loose. So he needed to invent another solution, which he did. And uh, he was working for the U.S. government at the time. He came over after the or during the war and worked for the U.S. government. But the U.S. government actually chose not to use that particular application. And so he was able to patent it. And that was the genesis of our company. Dad, of course, still 
still alive, fairly, that, fairly recently retired, I believe. Is that correct? But still comes into the office he, every day. Well, he comes in every day to keep his, his mind active. But he's been retired for 20 years, but still very active. Uh, loves his idea of, of retirement is being able to work on the projects that he wants to work on rather than uh, that he has to work on. So he's very technical and he loves the technical innovation side. So he still, you know, contributes very effectively our research and development and our technology advancements. Chris, I want to turn to you. What's it like working for this awesome family-owned, and we need to emphasize that, family-owned international company? I mean, there aren't too many of those still around which are family-owned, are there? No, they're not. It's awesome because our products are used in basically anything that can be fastened together. So every single day is different. All of our customers are different. We have over 15,000 customers worldwide. So I will say I've been here for almost 29 years, and I still learn every single day. It's a great company to work for. We believe in bringing people up from the company. So I started out in engineering straight out of college, and I worked in operations for a while. I was in sales, and now I'm in marketing. And it's, you know, every one of, I feel like I have four different careers at the company. So I would say that we're supported, and it's fun. I guess one of the cool things about the company is that what we are today versus 29 years ago when you started is completely different. Totally. And one of the things that you know makes us relevant in the market is that our research and development, we're always introducing new products. And the, the products that we have today really have been augmented and changed You know what the kind of solutions that we're delivering to customers globally. One of the things I wanted to pick up on as well is what's it like owning this amazing company that creates products which effectively you help other things work you know because without what you make a lot of other things just wouldn't be able to to happen so i mean that's a big deal but also of course you don't get to see your products do you (laughs) it's also a big responsibility we're highly involved in the automotive industry we're used in brakes and clutches and latches you know and if our products fail you know people's lives are in jeopardy you know we've been to the moon we've been in you know spacex's shuttles and you know again that this is an awesome responsibility to create quality product we understand the, the the criticality of our product and it makes it it really interesting to be in so many different applications, but it's a little bit daunting when you really think about how many places we touch. And if we don't deliver, there's lots of things that aren't that aren't delivered to the end customer. And I think one of the bigger differentiators of Spiral is that we are much more than just a fastener manufacturer. And this is really where we excel, is that we work with companies in the design stage. So it's not like we're just supplying product to them. We actually help them determine what the best product is for their application so that it goes together and stays together. And stays together is the key. You know, it's like many times our customers are experts in their own product. What we're really looking for is to make sure we make a quality joint that doesn't fail, you know, at any point in the future. And there's a lot of elements of that. We are sat in your beautiful offices, your corporate offices, I believe, here in the lovely little Danielson in northeastern Connecticut. Why was Danielson picked? Because, I mean, I was talking earlier with Chris before we started the interview and said, I don't think a lot of people realize how much great manufacturing and international manufacturing goes on in this part of Connecticut. Oh, that's true. And it's interesting. It's all about family connections. You talked about family earlier. When my grandfather came over to Germany, he was, you know, he left his immediate family, my grandmother and three kids, over in Germany for a period of years while he worked for the U.S. government. And he started out in Ohio. But when that 
finished and he was able to relocate to anywhere he wanted. He had a good friend that he had worked with for 30 years in Germany who had relocated to this part of uh, Connecticut. And so he joined his friend here because it was his only person that he knew in the U.S. That's incredible. And I actually learned a few weeks ago from your dad, Jeff, that... It was because of the hurricane of 1938 that were actually in Danielson. This was the second location choice. The first was somewhere in, I think, Western Mass, but the hurricane left that location underwater. And so here we are. As we said, celebrating 75 years in business, which is no small feat whatsoever. And as we said, we're here in Danielson, which is your corporate headquarters. But of course, you have offices, uh, or I should say facilities, on four continents across the world. Talk to us a little bit about that, because again, when we say Spiral International, yep, that international truly is international. Tell us more about that, Jeff, because that's huge. Right. So starting in the actually late 60s, we started to expand and we really were following our customers because our customers were moving to Ireland, our customers were moving to England, and we needed to be where our customers were. So it really started with that sort of internationalization. But over the past 25 years, we've certainly expanded and put a footprint where we need to put a footprint to, to better serve those customers. And what we see lately, I'd say the last 10 to 15 years, is a lot of internationalization of the design process. So what Christy is mentioning there is that we work with our customers at the design stage, and we need to be wherever they're designing it, we need to be there helping them to design the product. And what we see in our, certainly in our international customer base is that they may design an engine platform in Michigan, but it's produced in seven of their plants around the world. So then we need to have a source of supply of the product in those locations as well. The other thing that is really important and from a manufacturing point of view is we really need to put manufacturing where we can get access to some of the best minds in the world. So generally speaking, we're in, you know, fairly educated, intelligent, highly engineered countries, the U.S. being only one of them. Europe is certainly another one that has a lot of engineering as well as Asia. And talk to us about how do you get around? Because I'm guessing you must go and visit because obviously, you know, as we say, the corporate offices are here in the, in the U.S., but I guess you get around and see what the other offices are doing as well. Well, I like to say the corp- corporate is where I am. <laughs> so I'm certainly traveling a lot. So I feel like I'm constantly in the plane. It's important, especially being a family-run company, but I'm intimately involved in our operations and intimately involved in delivering value to our customers. So I am traveling around and making sure that we're delivering on that promise, uh, both at the engineering level, help our customers design in the product, and then on the, the supply side to make sure that we're delivering quality product on time and fulfilling that promise. As we said, you know, we're here in Danielson and we keep mentioning, or I keep mentioning, it's the corporate office, which of course it is, but you do also manufacture here as well, don't you? Talk to us a little bit about that because it is a dual purpose facility. It is. Most of our facilities are dual purpose. So we're pretty committed to manufacturing in the United States. Two of our six plants are U.S. based. Um, This is certainly one of our largest plants. And it actually has a lot of history and very close to our heart because it's where we started manufacturing, right? We continue to invest in technology to make sure that we can make product uh, cost effectively in the United States. It's a challenge. You know, labor is a challenge in the United States, not only making sure you can get enough of it, but it has to be skilled labor. 
And there was a period of time when there was a, I'm not going to say anti-sentiment, but, you know, certainly that I would say parents didn't actively promote their children to work in a factory. And today's factories with the technology level are nothing like the factories of 30 to 40 years ago. They're light, they're bright, they're clean. You know, you're using numerical controls, engineering controls, and you have to use technology to make product cost effectively in the United States to be competitive globally in the world. And we are committed to the United States. We just put a large addition on this facility back about six or eight years ago now, started about eight years ago, finished about six years ago. It was a major endeavor, and we continue to commit to manufacturing in the United States, which is not always easy. No, I was going to say, I mean, that's something that has been highlighted, and this was even pre-pandemic, that obviously a lot of manufacturing had shifted out of the US. And then, of course, we see supply chain issues, so like uh, crop up. So when you were talking about manufacturing, I think you're absolutely right. We're at a period at the moment now where we are trying to re-establish manufacturing as one of those extremely important trades, you know, get uh, younger people. But it's it's not always the young people you have to convince. It's the hearts and minds of mum and dad, isn't it? It is. Then they have to understand, and I totally understand where they're coming from because they have a paradigm, but they need to understand and we need to help educate them that there's there are value-added careers and their, their sons and daughters can make a very strong living and take care of a family by working in manufacturing now in the United States. How difficult is it actually to find people to, you know, to work for not just you, but in manufacturing? Because as we said, we don't realize how much manufacturing goes on and you know here in northeastern connecticut but there are some other bigger so like boys in the industry you know down towards the southeastern part so is it a bit of a, a of a fight to try and so like you know grab people when you well, can? everybody wants to hire the best right and so yeah it's competitive to to hire and retain the best and it's a challenge and i'd like to add to that a little bit one of our lead mechanics was really good when he was in high school he was great in math and science and this goes not just to the mom and dad but it goes to the guidance counselors as well. And so if you're good in math and science, then you might as well be an architect or an engineer. And so he was really encouraged to go on to school to be a, either an architect or an engineer. He, he chose architecture. But it wasn't until his sophomore year when he was like, I hate this. I want to be doing something with my hands. And so he left school in debt, ended up coming to Spiral. And now he is such a huge advocate. We'll bring him around to different schools to say, listen, college isn't necessarily for everybody. And you can have have a fantastic career, not going to college, but coming and working in manufacturing, you still have to be skilled. I mean, as Jeff said, we're investing in technology, but you don't have to go through college to be successful and to have a happy, happy career. Is it often the case as well with organizations like Spiral, where obviously there's on the job learning because you've got very specific technologies, which, you know, clearly nobody else has, so they have to be educated and taught on that. But is it also a case of with apprenticeships and things like that, that you can offer maybe things like, you know, college learning for them as well? Absolutely. In this particular case in Connecticut, and we do it in multiple of our facilities, we're partnering with the local college and there's a manufacturing center of excellence at the Quinnebog Community College here. And so we're locally partner with them to get college credits when necessary. We'll put people through the program and, or it's a certificate. So it can be either a certificate of manufacturing because it gives you the basic skills, the mathematics and CAD that you need, or it will be for college credit. So we do that with multiple locations around the world because we strongly believe in apprenticeships. One of the things that, you know, that's impacted the United States is the the lack of a, a strong apprenticeship program, which really needs to be run at the state level, could be run at the federal level. But places like, you know, England, where we have two very large facilities as well, have a much stronger apprenticeship program. And those are really important.
important programs. And, you know, if, if the state doesn't provide a strong structured apprenticeship program, then we have to ourselves. So you're effectively earning while you're learning and also, I'm assuming, almost debt free as well, because that's not something that happens everywhere, is it? I mean, you know, we hear about these huge amounts of student loan debt. So I'm guessing, you know, it's a different story with, with you guys. Well, one of our benefits is that we pay for education. So if you go back to school, we pay for education. And so we really appreciate that work and education portion. And they do come out debt free from that experience with us. Talk to us a little bit more about, as you said, from the very beginnings to now, constantly evolving different types of products. You mentioned about fasteners. We did a story actually uh, a few weeks ago here. It was with a, a U.S. senator actually visited. And it was all to do with like green energy as well. Talk to us about that, because this is a big hot button issue now. It and is something it, you're huge in. It's huge. And it's a huge growth area for us. We're in the electronic platforms or EV, whether it be EV in a, your lawnmower or EV in a car or even larger in trucks. We're doing both electronic and then hydrogen, hydrolyzers. Hydrogen is going to be, for many applications, going to be green energy of choice in terms of the way it combusts. It's still a combustion engine, but it uses hydrogen as its power source, which has a byproduct of oxygen and water, basically, a carbon dioxide as well. So it's a huge area for us. We, you know, we, we have different products that go to facilitate it, an area that's ever-evolving. We don't know which technology is going to prevail or which customer is going to prevail. In fact, several years ago, we were working with about 10 small electronic car companies and, you know, not all 10 of them survived. You know, we're now with, the, I think, the largest in the world, both in Asia and in the United States. But you have to start off with working with a lot of these companies in very early stages. And, you know, someone will prevail, some force will prevail. And even in electronic, in the EV market, I think there'll be a balance between electronic or, you know, battery engines and then hydrolyzers or hydrogen engines. Do you think part of Spiral's success over the 75 years is not only in the quality, obviously, of the products that you produce, but the fact that you are able to pivot, it seems, almost seamlessly into whatever becomes the next biggest thing? I mean, would that be a fair comment? I think it's about our commitment to R&D and innovation and keeping our eyes and ears opened with our customers on the, the projects they're working on. And if we don't have a product that meets their needs. We don't just say no. We say, well, tell us what you're trying to do. And we evolve and we develop new products. And eventually they become product lines. And I think listening to our customers, working with them at the design engineering stage, looking at the innovations they're doing and partnering with them during those innovations has allowed us to stay relevant and, and allowed us to flourish. And Christy, obviously, is as director of marketing as well. I mean, you know, how do you market this company? Because, you know, it seems like you can do anything. <laughs> well, it's important that we are where our customers are. And the, the important thing is having people understand the value that we offer. And when people think of a manufacturing company or a fastener manufacturer in general, that's not spiral. We're much more than a fastener manufacturer. So trying to get across the value that we offer by having them contact us early in the design stage is challenging, but it's critical. So, you know, we're everywhere. We're obviously the internet. Our website is super important. We're involved in a lot of different industrial trade publications, both in print and online. If you, and I say in 
print, people are like, what? But we're working with all the different engineers. So if you look at the demographics, we have people coming straight out of college, but there are people my age, <laughs> Jeff's age, that still read the actual trade magazines. So, you know, it's important that we are, like I said, everywhere that our customers are and, and prospects are. I think that just to augment that a bit, Christy, and, you know, when you do what we do, it's about educating. When you go to engineering school, there's not a single course that says fasteners or joining an assembly. And there may be a course on design, but not where 90% of the cost is actually in the assembly of the product. There's nobody that looks at it from a holistic point of view. So quite a bit what we do is produce material on fastening and joining and, and educating engineers on the options available. And that starts all the way from with programs in colleges. And then we, we continue it in our trade education and our trade material running seminars. We run a lot of webinars. We want to run a lot of seminars at trade shows, not about our company, but on the actual fastening and joining uh, arena of how to how to fasten and join components together that they stay together for the intended life of the assembly. Let me put this question to you. It's a very personal question, Jeff. Uh, obviously, as the, the CEO of this incredible company, what keeps you going? What gets you up every morning? That's a great question. It's all about being able to make an impact, right? And of course, I love success, but it's not the monetary success or the success of the company. It's about being able to make an impact. I really feel strongly that we make a difference for our customers. We help them be competitive in their market spaces. And when they work with us, they're successful. I love getting an email. We just got one last week from a customer in Brazil where they just said, we wouldn't have been able to do what we did without you. And they were making an electronic bike. And those are great moments when you can say, you know, we are making a difference. But we also make a difference in our employees' lives and the ability to create careers for them. I was in Canada over the weekend. I started stayed through Saturday because we had a family day at our career event. And one of our employees brought their two brothers, their mother and their father. They've worked for us for 10 years. And, you know, his mother came over to me and said, thank you so much for the career that you've been able to offer my son and the development of him. That makes making a difference, making an impact both locally, globally. I think that we make the U.S., uh, you know, a stronger, a stronger nation because of our presence. And I love giving back to the community. We have a philanthropic foundation that we support. And so we give back to, you know, STEM and science programs for education because we feel very strongly about it. So being able to make an impact is what really drives me to, to do what I do. But I just love it. <laughs> it's easy. I don't, it's just not difficult to get up in the morning. Well, that's always the good thing, isn't it? If you love it in the, and you can get up every morning, that's the most important thing. We actually have a saying, don't just like what you do, love what you do, because you spend much more time at work than you do anywhere else. And I would say that the majority of us are very passionate about the company and absolutely love what we do. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you for inviting us into Spiral International here at uh, Danielson to find out more about this incredible family-owned company. We wish you, as I say, happy 75th birthday for this year and for many, many years to come. And obviously, we'll keep looking at everything that's out on the street and realize there's probably a little part of yours in there somewhere. So I'm never going to look at anything in quite the same way again. <laughs> oh, thank you, Brian. We, we have that problem all the time. We never quite look at anything the same way. <laughs> Jeff Cole and Christy Jones of Spiral International, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And if you want to find out more about Spiral or maybe consider working for them, then visit their website at spiral, that's S-P-I-R-O-L dot com for details. (music) 
It's hurricane season, and your trees can be damaged by high winds. Green Valley Tree has you covered with our emergency tree service outside of our regular business hours. We offer emergency tree service by bucket, crane, and climbing for residential, commercial, and even municipalities across eastern Connecticut. From full tree removals, uprooted or broken trees, to broken, hung up, or fractured tree limbs. Call our emergency hotline on 860-966-5710 or visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com. When it comes to making plans, you are the best. What about those round trips, which are perfect on your way there and perfect on your way back? Or those meetings with friends, surprise parties, camps, birthdays? The same way you plan for the important moments, start planning to protect you and your loved ones from a natural disaster. Sign up for local weather and emergency alerts. Prepare an emergency kit and make a family communications plan. Get started at ready.gov plan. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Time now for a look at other stories making the headlines this week. A new analysis finds financial hardship is growing in Connecticut. United Way of Connecticut's Alice report focuses on those who are asset-limited, income-constrained, but employed. Edwin J. Vieira from the Connecticut News Service has this report. It suggests the direct cause of these issues is a disconnect between wages and the cost of basic essentials. The report says more than half of the most common jobs in the state paid less than $20 an hour, or $40,000 a year in 20. 21. Lisa Tepper Bates with the United Way of Connecticut says the state has already taken some steps to make life more affordable. The legislature and the governor did a terrific job last session when they were able to increase the state earned income tax credit, which is based on a percentage of the federal EITC or earned income tax credit. The state raised its EITC to 40% of the federal level, but Tepper Bates points out that this can only do so much. She notes federal programs initiated during the pandemic, like the expanded federal child tax credit, provided some relief for families. A Columbia University study finds the CTC kept almost 4 million children out of poverty. I'm Edwin J. Vieira. U.S. Senator Richard Blumenthal joined LGBTQ military veterans and advocates recently in Hartford to introduce new legislation establishing a commission to investigate the historic and ongoing impacts of discriminatory military policies on LGBTQ service members and veterans. Blumenthal was a member of the Senate Armed Services Committee and said it's time to right the wrongs of the past. There are 250,000 LGBTQ plus service members now in uniform and more than a million veterans, probably 1.2 to 1.5 million veterans who live with the effects of less than honorable discharges, which deny them access to VA healthcare, educational assistance, job opportunities, a variety of benefits that they deserve and need. Anthony Delizia is a veteran and served from 2014 to 2020 in the U.S. Army and recalled how difficult it was for him back then. Coming out in the Army and being openly gay was not the easiest of things. I constantly had to regulate the way that I talked, the way that I acted, simply so that I would not be inhibited in my ability to have a successful military career. But the fact that I was even able to come out in the first place and the fact that I was able to navigate those challenges 
really speaks to the sacrifices that were made by the LGBTQIA plus service members that came before myself. Blumenthal hopes the Commission on Equity and Reconciliation in the Uniformed Services Act will conduct fact-finding investigations to understand the scope of the harm caused by policies like Don't Ask, Don't Tell, the transgender military ban, and other discrimination that has directly affected thousands of LGBTQ plus service personnel over the years. Yukon, an energy company Eversource, held the state's inaugural Sustainable Energy Conference recently. The event was attended by government and local leaders, as well as Yukon students, to hear about the state's strengths in green energy and the challenges of climate change and investment needed to combat it that lay ahead. Redenka Marek is the president of Yukon and a world-renowned energy expert, and said methane production is the biggest contributor to climate change, but something we can address. At least 25 of today's global warming is driven by methane from the human actions. If we reduce the use of the methane and that is produced from the oil and gas, from the coal, from incineration of the waste from the fields and cows, 60% we are going to reduce the temperature to a degree. So that is immediate actions that we can take. Gina McCarthy, a former Connecticut Department of Energy Commissioner and former White House Climate Advisor, was the keynote speaker at the event and reminded people that Connecticut has always been a leader when it comes to the environment. Under the leadership of Governor Rell, we actually moved forward to be the state that cemented the initiation of the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative, the first cap-and-trade program for greenhouse gases in the country, and it is still going strong. So we had a lot to be proud of. McCarthy praised Yukon and Eversource for their partnership that will allow students and researchers to work together on projects related to climate and energy grid sustainability. Six teams of Yukon students also presented their work as part of a decarbonization challenge, devising ways to reduce the university's carbon footprint, foster environmental justice, and prepare for climate extremes. Yukon has committed to become carbon neutral by 2030 and has already installed hydrogen power cells and improved efficiency of its on-site cogeneration power plant. A Yukon graduate and former nurse has made a $40 million gift to the university, the largest of its kind in the school's history. Elizabeth DeLuca, the widow of Subway billionaire and co-founder Fred DeLuca, made the gift to help support construction of a new state-of-the-art facility for the School of Nursing at the store's campus, as well as provide scholarships and support for those seeking a nursing education. The money will be used in conjunction with $30 million of state bonds, providing additional funds for the project. DeLuca, who is a long-time donor to the university, says she hopes her gift will inspire others to invest in nursing education and combat the country's nursing shortage. The United States is experiencing a significant nursing shortage, which is projected to continue through 2030. That's all from us for this edition. Do send us your questions and story ideas to the show via our website at Connecticut-East.com or Facebook or Twitter at Connecticut East and on Instagram at Connecticut East this week. And you can listen to the show again on our social platforms on demand and by asking your smart speaker to play Connecticut East This Week podcast. And please like, follow and share on your social media too. I'm Brian Scott Smith. Thank you for listening.